Amen. Have a seat. Welcome to our uh, our new church home for the summer. Uh, isn't this a beautiful theater? It's great to be together. Great to see everybody. Uh, appreciate the worship team, the music, uh, and singing today. I'm normally involved in that, and uh, but it was good to not be involved in it today. And Joe, Joe, uh, who was up here, just uh, the the, the nice-looking Guamanian dude that was leading those last two songs. Uh, he's uh, he's being trained uh, to be a worship director and uh, did a great job leading us today. We're really so spoiled to have some really great musicians and singers in our ministry. Uh, Paulette is uh, not on stage today. She's due like this week. <laughs> so she, she texted me. She's like, do you think it'd be all right for me to take a break? I'm like, yes, I think so. I know it's hard for me too to not be singing, but uh, she, she's such a great talent. We're so spoiled to have a... Uh, have all these folks here. We're going to miss her and Jerry while they're uh, having their new baby. But uh, anyway, we are. if you're visiting with us, we're really grateful that you're here today. We're, uh, we're in the middle of a worship series, a sermon series called Undeserved, which is kind of an awkward word, but uh, the guys came up with that word. Uh, and it's, it's undeserved, meaning we don't deserve God's grace, and we're doing this deeper study of God's grace. And uh, today the title of the lesson is Infinite. Infinite. What do you think of when you think of that word infinite? Never ending, okay. Uh, endless possibilities, somebody said. I think of space, the final frontier. You know, I think of Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. And uh, I was hanging out with Mark and, uh, and Brock over there. Uh, Mark and Elizabeth have been uh, attending our uh, apology series in our, in our small group, and so Mark and Brock and I are talking about the age of the universe. I love those kinds of conversations. I, I know there's some guys out there, we love that stuff. So we're Googling, you know, the most distant, visible objects in space, and, uh, you know, that they're currently the most distant, visible objects in space are these galaxies that are like 13.5 billion light years away. Which means, you know, the universe they think is about 14 billion, 14.5 billion years old, so you're looking back in time to almost the beginning, well, within, within a billion years or so of the beginning. But it's just amazing, those kinds of scale, those scales of the universe, I don't know about you, but they just kind of don't compute in my brain. You know, billions, millions, trillions, gazillions, it's kind of, you know, once you're past millions, it's kind of like, it's like your kid when they're saying, how much did, I remember my kids when they were little, how much did that house cost? A thousand dollars? You're like, well, about 500 times that. You know, that's kind of how God is, I think, with our scale. We have no concept of infinity, really, or of, of the, the giant scale of the universe. But the Bible does uh, use uh, the, uh, the universe, it uses the creation to try to describe God's love in some places. In, uh, in Psalm 103, for example, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us, according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. You know, how high are the heavens above the earth? It's not measurable, right? How far Can you quantify how far the east is from the west? There's really no way to quantify that. It's beyond our ability to understand. That's what God's love is like. That's what His grace is like. It's infinite. And I have a little prop, and I forgot to bring it on stage. So greet the person on your right and your left while I get my prop, and I'll be right back.
Where's my... I had a sponge that was back here, and I think somebody cleaned it up for me. There it is. Thank you. Where was it? Oh, somebody tucked it in there. God bless you. Okay. Hope you uh, had a great little chat in Jesus there. I couldn't find it backstage. I think somebody cleaned it up. So this is my sponge. I use this for tiling. Is this going to keep sounding like that? Should I just go on the regular mic? Give it a couple more minutes? Okay. If it keeps, if, I, I see people wincing. <laughs> it's like, oh. Okay. So this is my tiling sponge. Uh, this actually will absorb a whole lot of water. You know, when, when, you're, when you're tiling and you're picking up a lot of water, it, it will absorb a lot of water. But if I were to take this sponge and go out to Redondo Beach and dip it in the ocean, I wouldn't really make much impact, would I? And if all of us, if every single one of us took a sponge like this right now, we went down to Redondo Beach and we said, we're going to make an impact on that ocean, we all plunged them into the water, I mean, there would be negligible impact on the ocean. And that's kind of what God's grace is like. It's boundless and endless compared to our capacity for it. But sometimes we can feel like, oh, God's grace isn't enough for me. Like that song we sang, "Uh, it's not enough for me though. It's enough for him, it's enough for her, but not for me. And yet we're like the sponge and God's grace is like the ocean. And so we're going to be talking about that today. What does that really mean? How does God's infinite grace affect us? What does it mean in our lives, in our daily situation? And and, uh, we're going to... Uh, dig into some scriptures about it. We're going to kind of explore the boundaries of grace, what it means for, for everyday life. You know, the Pope said something, the new Pope said something a couple weeks ago that kind of caused a stir. Uh, you might have seen it. He said something about uh, God's grace. And I want to show the video and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Here's the, here's the clip from kind of one of his daily, uh, his daily sermons. Okay, if you couldn't understand that accent, what, what, what he said was that uh, God's, Jesus' redemption, Jesus redeemed all people. That not just Catholics, not just those who believe in Jesus, but even atheists, everybody has been redeemed by Jesus. And so we all have a responsibility to do good. Now, I don't know what exactly he meant, but it caused a big stir. And people were saying, is the Pope saying everybody is, is, is uh, going to go to heaven? And I just learned about it because I saw Stephen Colbert, who's Catholic, and uh, he, he, was, he was all upset because he was like, man, you mean I got confirmed for nothing and I did all that stuff and I, I was an altar boy and everybody's just going to get into heaven? That's not right. you know. And Stephen Colbert was all upset at the Pope. Now, regardless what you think about it, I, I want to show a scripture that I, I think it's a good setup for this discussion. In, in Titus 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
So the Pope is right in, in terms of the offer is for everyone. The offer, God's grace is there for any person. Atheist, homosexual, as you mentioned, drug addict, even religious, self-righteous people. God's grace is for all of us. We all need God's grace equally, don't we? Now, what kind of impact does God's grace have? Verse 12, it says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself up for us to redeem us. He talked about that from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. So this is a great scripture that, to me, it just gives it a great understanding of what grace is. Grace is there for all people. It's appeared to all people. It offers salvation to everyone. The Bible teaches God wants everyone to be saved. But is everyone saved? Well, you look a little farther in the verse, and it talks about kind of a, a, a certain people that Jesus has purified for himself, a, a people within, there's all people, and then there's the people who are waiting for the blessed hope and who grace has had an impact on them. Here it says they, they've been taught to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and all the stuff that's out there. They're living a different life, aren't they, in this verse? And it says they're waiting for, for Jesus to come back and, and, and they've been purified, this, very, this people that are Jesus' own. So what does that mean for you and I? And it brings up all these questions. Okay, who are those people? You know, if grace is for everyone, but not everyone receives it, how do I make sure I'm one of the people that receives it? Don't you, don't you want to make sure? I want to be one of those people this verse is talking about. And it's not a matter of, of being perfect or being righteous or doing enough good things. It's a matter of how we respond to God's grace. So we're going to look into specifics. And we have a, a whole study series that's just on this called uh, First Steps. And uh, so if you're visiting with us and, and some of the things I talk about maybe offend you or they bring up some questions in your mind, I really encourage you, let's sit down, sit down with somebody from the, the church here or with myself or Steve or whoever and talk about, look, just, we look at the verse and we go, what do you think it means? Here's what I think it means. We read the verses before, we read the verses after. And you just get a good sense of what does the Bible really teach about these things? Because these are important issues. I mean, eternity is really important. Making sure we're tapped into God's grace is really important, but it's also something people get really riled up about. I mean, people got really riled up about the, the, the Pope saying that. Uh, if you ever want to get somebody really mad at you, talk about who's going to hell. <laughs> you know. And I'm glad God's the judge. You know, it doesn't really matter what you and I think. You know, we, we don't have any say anyway. God's the judge, and Jesus said, "I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world." In John 12. Amen, Jesus. But you know what He says. There is a judge, though, and that's the word I said. So you gotta, you know, you gotta go by the word. So we, I'm really grateful we have the revealed word of God, and the Bible's really clear. Everybody here can be super confident that they're right with God. That's awesome, because I remember, uh, at times in my life not being confident, and feeling up and down and saved and then lost and then saved and lost. And, and nobody wants to live that way. God's desire is that we could embrace grace, and that's gonna be the thing we talk about today. Let's back up a little bit. We've been looking at Ephesians. Tim preached two weeks ago from Ephesians 1. If you can go ahead and be turning over to Ephesians, we're going to kind of dig into chapter 3 here in a minute. But just to give you context, Ephesians 1, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship 
through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He's freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. So there's a few things we see in this verse and a few things that, that Tim talked about the first week. Grace comes through what? The blood of Jesus Christ in verse 7. We have redemption through His blood. It's His sacrifice on the cross that allows us to be right with God. Nothing that we could do to earn that. It's, this, it's freely given, it says there. And, and God adopts us as His children, it says in that first verse. He predestined us for adoption. Isn't that amazing? God wants you. You know, anybody who's adopted a child, that child should feel really special because the parents chose them specifically. You know, those of us who had kids naturally, we didn't choose them. Now, I'm grateful for the ones I got. Jameson, I want you to feel I'm very grateful. But, uh, but we didn't necessarily choose the ones we got. But if you're adopted, boy, you were chosen. And that's how we are spiritually, that God chose us. That we're special to God. Uh, and, then, and then it says that he's lavished this grace on us. Okay, how does that happen? We're going to look into that a little bit more. Ephesians 2, uh, Martin preached on this last week. Did a great job, great Father's Day lesson. Boy, it was heart-stirring. And uh, he talked about his own life, shared very vulnerably, vulnerably about who he was before he was a Christian and then who he was after. And remember he showed, I'll never forget that picture of Long Beach Boulevard. And the before and the after. And he talked about in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He talked about the past and who we are without Christ. And that's who we are. We're objects of wrath. But because of His mercy, because of His great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So it's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we earn. It's that we've been saved by God's mercy. And, and Martin did a great job of, of sharing about that. So let's pick it up in Ephesians 3. We're going to read uh, not quite the whole chapter in the interest of time, but uh, we'll pick it up down in verse 12. The first part of the chapter, Paul describes himself as being uh, given the administration of God's grace. Like Paul says, I'm a, I'm a conduit for God's grace. Like through me, God's grace comes to other people. And he says that... God's grace to me has a huge impact on me. I work really hard because of God's grace. And he describes his own ministry and his own, his own, uh, his own service of the gospel. He describes grace even as a mystery. So I think it's okay that we don't fully get grace sometimes. You know, because it's, it's one of those things that it's hard to kind of get. And Paul says it's a mystery of the gospel. Uh, but Paul was here to, to reveal it and to clarify it for people. In verse 12, it says, In Him, that's Jesus, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Isn't that awesome? Freedom and confidence. Think about that for a minute. God, the creator of the universe, the judge of all mankind, you can approach Him with freedom and confidence? Wow. You remember uh, you know, being a kid and being called to the vice principal's office? I mean, I know I was. Steve, a couple times. I mean, I remember that feeling. It was not freedom and confidence. It was like, oh boy, you know, butterflies in the stomach. And that's the way a lot of us kind of think about God, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to come to God as our daddy with freedom and confidence. Verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. 
Paul was talking about specific sufferings he was going through. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, let him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. What? Amen! What a powerful passage of Scripture about grace. That we can approach with freedom and confidence. And Paul's Paul's deepest prayer was that we would know grace better. Why? Because that first verse we looked at What teaches us to say no to godly passions and worldly desires? Is it fear of hell? No, in that verse, it's grace. Grace teaches us to say no. When you really understand God's grace, it's very motivating. And so Paul says, my prayer is that you'll just get how awesome God is and how much He loves you, how long and wide and high and deep and amazing His love is. That's my biggest prayer for you in Ephesus. That you can know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's infinite. Whatever you think God is, He's immeasurably more. We got our little sponge, we, we go to the ocean, and He's just immeasurable in, his, in who He is. So my one point today that I'm going to hammer on a little bit and want you to take home is embrace grace. Paul says to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I could have said grasp grace, but it's hard for me to say. So I said embrace grace. Embrace grace. You know, for me personally, it's hard for me to really embrace grace. I, I became a disciple 25 years ago. I just had my 25th uh, baptism anniversary uh, a few weeks ago. I was actually in bed with 102 fever for seven days straight. So I celebrated my spiritual birthday like lying in fetal position and uh, groaning, Oh, God. Oh, God, please. Have mercy on me, God. And my dog had had this horrible seizure. He had seizures sometimes the day before, and so he couldn't move. So we thought he was dying. So I'm lying on the bed dying, and he's lying on the bed dying. Like, happy spiritual birthday. It was good for me to be afflicted. It was actually good for my soul. That's another sermon I'll share sometime. But, but I wouldn't say I'm great at embracing grace. I, I wrestle with grace. Because I so often want to feel good about myself because of the things that I do. You know, I'm trying to win God's approval. I'm trying to feel like, okay, I'm alright with God because I do this and I do that and I do the other. God, surely God's happy with me now because I did this and that. And, you know, if I don't do enough, I, you know, there's kind of no limit to what you could do, right? And so I, I, I wrestle with that and I've had, I've done better and worse at times in my spiritual life and, and, uh, but, but it's something that's kind of hard for me to get sometimes. And, you know, I had, Great parents growing up. My parents showed me unconditional love. I mean, there was no question ever of their love for me, how much they believed in me. They thought I was so awesome. And yet still I have, I wrestle with grace sometimes. So I know a lot of us, we didn't have those kinds of parents. And so how much more, you know, is it a struggle sometimes to really embrace grace and really understand it? We're, we're so often trying to win God's approval or feel like, and, and what Paul's saying is, no, 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 don't you get it? He loved you. He died for you. Jesus Paid the price for you at your very worst. 
And so anything you do from that point, it's, it's because of your response to God's grace. It's not to earn his favor. And we need reminders of that. We need, we need to, especially the longer we're in the church, the more that we can tend towards being like a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were confident of their own righteousness because of the things they did. And, and Jesus is like, you don't get it. You know, you could, all your righteous acts are like filthy rags, the Bible says. So there's nothing you could do to earn God's favor. And so you got, we gotta kinda of be brought back to who we are in, in, in grace. And the illustration Jesus said is, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. When you realize how sick you are, what a mess you are, then you realize how awesome God's grace is. And so we're gonna, we're gonna try to dig into this a little bit. I have an illustration Actually, I want to show a verse before we look at that. In Galatians, if you want to turn there, it's Galatians 3. Uh, the book of Galatians, this was written to people who were... The, the church was fairly young. Paul started these churches in the area of Galatia. You might not know Galatian. It's not like there's a city of Galatia. It's an area of several cities. So a lot of the... When you read Acts, a lot of those first churches that Paul planted, they were in Galatia, this area. And so he wrote this letter to them because what happened is... After Paul came through, and these were non-Jews that were becoming Christians, and they were Greeks, and so they became disciples, they became followers of Christ, they were so grateful to, to find God and to find his plan for them. But then some, some Jews came in that sort of followed Paul, and they started teaching that, oh, wait a minute, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus and to, to live in the way of love, you know, live by, by Jesus' love, love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. You also need to follow the law of Moses. You need to become a Jew in order to be right with God. You need to follow all these old laws. That's the way to earn God's favor. That's what these teachers were telling the Galatians. And many of them were being led astray by this. Paul was the one who had started those churches, and so from afar he's hearing reports of this. And so he was really not happy at all about this. He's pretty ticked off. If you read Galatians, it's kind of a little bit of an angry letter. It's also the very first letter Paul ever wrote. It's actually one of the very first, uh, first things written that's in the New Testament. And so you kind of see the progression of, of Paul's life as you read his later letters and how he got a little more laid back. Galatians, he's, he's ticked. He's like, if somebody tells you something other than what I told you, even an angel from heaven, or even if we come back and we tell you a different gospel, let him go to hell. That's what he says to open the book. You know, he's, he's pretty... He's, and these guys, they were saying they needed to be circumcised because that was part of the Jewish thing. So Paul says, I wish that those guys would go all the way and just emasculate themselves. You know, he's pretty angry in Galatians with these guys. So here's what he says in Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, that's the reason that we can be right with God is because of Jesus' sacrifice, right? Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Meaning God saved you by grace, so why are you now trying to earn a position? Why are you... Why are you that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? It began with works of the, of the Spirit. Why are you trying to kind of switch to works of the flesh? So... Uh, you know, he's trying to get them to, to understand this. And, and a, an analogy or an illustration for us today is, uh, remember the uh, uh, couple years ago when those Chilean miners got stuck underground? I think it was 2010. There was 33 miners stuck underground. For 69 days they were down there. 
first few weeks they thought they were dead and then they, they were able to get a, you know, it was way, way, way down there, but they were able to drill a communication hole all the way down and they discovered they were alive. So they're like, all right, these guys are alive. Now what do we do? Because <laughs> they're way down there. They ended up being able to drill a hole just big enough to send this capsule down and bring them up one by one. But can you imagine being down there, being trapped down there, and going, oh, I found a hammer and chisel. You know, I'm just, ding, 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 ding. I'm going to dig my way out of here. I mean, there's absolutely no way possible. There's nothing you could do when you're in that situation. They were many, many thousands of feet underground. There is no way they could possibly rescue themselves. And that's the condition we are without God's grace. There is absolutely nothing we could do because of sin and the way it separates us from God. We're like those miners trapped underground. And so then that, that, that uh, pod comes down, you step into it, and you're carried up into freedom. That's the response to grace. You have to choose to respond. You can stay down there underground if you want. Or you can choose to go, hey, I'm going to get in this escape pod, and you can be taken up to freedom. That's grace that, that carries us to freedom. I want to show you a, a video of this and just kind of get the feel of it, and then we're going to talk a little more about it. There's the pod down below on the camera. Got some little goodies for some of the guys there. I love this part right here. He's fired up, isn't he? You know, I watched this video, and you know what it reminded me of? What do you think? In our culture. It reminded me of baptism. You know, you got everybody around, everybody's cheering, the person comes up out of the water, everybody's like, yeah, and he comes out of the water, Jesus is Lord, yeah! Go, 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 go! You know, so fired up. Man, that, that's what it reminded me of. And, and interesting, in Galatians, remember, Galatians, the whole argument is you cannot earn your salvation. And the next thing Paul says right after that verse we read, he says in, in, in Galatians 3.26, So in Christ Jesus, because Jesus paid the price, Jesus was crucified for us, there's nothing we do to earn our salvation. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, there are people who say you don't need to be baptized. Baptism is a work, that you're earning salvation by being baptized. 
But if Paul was writing Galatians to prove you can't be saved by works, why would this verse be in there? In fact, what Paul is doing, he's saying, no, no, we're saved by grace because that's what happens when you're baptized. You're clothed with Christ. And that's not something we deserve. It's not something, it's not like, oh, I did this great work by being baptized. That's kind of like the Chilean guy saying, I did this great work by stepping into the pod and being lifted up. You know, the, the work was done by someone else and he's just benefiting from it and being transported to a new life. That's what baptism is in the scriptures. It's transports you from your old life to your new life because you're buried with Christ and baptism, you're raised with him to a new life. So it's the point, it's the vehicle God chooses to use for grace. Again, there's a lot of verses on this. And so if you're visiting with this, you want to look into it more, let's, let's open the Bible, let's sit and talk about it. But that's what you see in the scriptures is that this is the way that we enter God's grace, is we're clothed with Christ. It's God that does all the work. We can do nothing to earn our salvation. He does all the work. It's, it's, uh, there's another, another story I want to read you. I read this in uh, Max Lucado's book on grace. It says, When grace happens, we receive not a nice compliment from God, but a new heart. Give your heart to Christ, and He returns the favor. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Ezekiel 36:26. You might call it a spiritual heart transplant. Tara Storch understands this miracle as much as anyone can. In the spring of 2010, a skiing accident took the life of her 13-year-old daughter, Taylor. What followed for Tara and her husband, Todd, was every parent's worst nightmare. A funeral, a burial, a flood of questions and tears. They decided to donate their daughter's organs to needy patients. Few people needed a heart more than Patricia Winters. Her heart had begun to fail five years earlier, leaving her too weak to do much more than sleep. Taylor's heart gave Patricia a fresh start on life. Tara had only one request. She wanted to hear the heart of her daughter. She and Todd flew from Dallas to Phoenix and went to Patricia's home to listen to Taylor's heart. The two mothers embraced for a long time. Then Patricia offered Taylor, uh, sorry, then Patricia offered Tara and Todd a stethoscope. When they listened to the healthy rhythm, whose heart did they hear? Did they not hear the still beating heart of their daughter? It indwells a different body, but the heart is the heart of their child. When God hears your heart, does he not hear the still beating heart of his son? As Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20. There's a picture of, of uh, the mother and father listening to the heart of their daughter. And you know, that is what God has done. He paid the ultimate price. Jesus died a horrible death on the cross so that we could be forgiven and free, so that we could approach God with confidence and faith. So how do we respond to that? Uh, let's look at uh, a few verses on this. Again, write these down. You can look at the passages ahead of them. You can look at the passages afterwards. We're just going to kind of skim a few passages just to get... Okay, because there's questions that come up. Okay, so if, if I enter grace when I'm baptized, then can I get out of grace by doing something? Or is it always there? Or, uh, it, you know, how does this all work? How do I respond then? Do I have to be perfect after I'm baptized? A lot of times I'll be studying the Bible with somebody... And you kind of get the picture there thinking like, wow, this is going to be hard to never sin again. And pretty soon you're like, no, no, you've you got to strive to please God, but you're going to mess up. So we're going to talk about that a little bit by looking at a few verses. But Romans 6, Paul in Romans is, is making this, again, this whole argument of grace through faith. And he's, he says in Romans 5, we've been saved by God's amazing love, by his grace. So then the response to that here in Romans, uh, 
for a little a little verse to give you a taste of Romans 5. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's Romans 5. So now the response, Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? In other words, because Christ died for me, what should, how should I respond? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We get a new heart. We get a new start. We get a new lease on life because of what Christ did. And that's the point where we're born again and we start over. So uh, the response to grace, remember the verse in Titus, it teaches us to say no. There was people saying, oh, God's grace is so awesome, so if I just sin more, that kind of makes God look even better. So, you know, that's, that's how they were processing grace. Well, the more of a mess I am, the better God looks, so I might as well just kind of be a mess and give in. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We died to sin. When you're baptized, you're dying to your old life and you're living a new life, and so now you're not enslaved to sin anymore. And so the rest of the, the chapter he talks about not being enslaved to sin. You're going to still sin, but you're not enslaved to it. And I, I, I saw that in my own life where before I was a, a true Christian, I was enslaved to sin. I, I was controlled by it. I, I felt like I have no power over it. But then when I really committed my life to Christ, totally committed my life to Christ and was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, then it's like I sin, but I'm not controlled by it anymore. It doesn't dominate me. Are you with me? And so that's what he's talking about what we should be. Now, he goes a little farther in Romans 8. And he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 8, he talks about all these things. Could this separate us from God? Trouble, hardship, persecution, danger, nakedness, famine, sword. Can any of those things separate us from God's love? No. Nothing can take it away from us, what God has given us in his grace. That should be a, a satisfying feeling. Because there's things people can take away from you. They can take away your physical freedom. They can take away your money. They can take away your health. They can take away your possessions. But no one can take God's grace from you. That, that gives us a sense of security. It gives us a, you know, a bottom line, found, a foundation for our lives. No one can take this away from me. Uh, John 10, uh, Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd. He says... They are my sheep and no one can snatch them from my hand. Amen. Now, because of that, and and that's absolutely true, no one can take away your salvation. No one can take away God's grace from you. There are some that say, therefore, if anyone has received grace, if anyone's a Christian, they could never leave God. You ever heard that? You could never lose your salvation. Because the Bible says right there, nothing can separate you from God's love. Well, that's true. Nothing can separate you from God's love. God's adopted you as a son. No one can take that away from you. But you could choose to reject his love. You could choose to walk away from him. And and so, therefore, there's all these warnings. I mean, most of the New Testament was written to Christians. And there's all these warnings about persevere and don't don't give in to sin. Galatians 5, the the verse a lot of us know, uh, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives this list of sin. That was written to Christians. In other words... You've got to persevere. You've got to stay faithful. You've got to stay purified. You've got to stay righteous. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means practically. But 
it's important that we never we don't stray. And Jesus warned the, the churches in, in the book of Revelation to, to stay faithful, persevere to the end, keep going, don't give up. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean like every time I sin, I'm lost, and then I repent real quick, and now I'm saved again? And I, I don't know if any of you have felt that way before. I felt that way at times in my life, like, I'm, I'm right with God, I'm not right with God, I'm right with God, I'm not right with God. That's not it. And, and just to give you a, this is the best verse that kind of talks about the boundary. Hebrews 10. Hebrews is, is full of, of warnings to stay faithful and, and don't turn away and, and keep the, you know, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Keep going. Don't give up meaning the other. Just, you know, it's the whole book is kind of like don't, don't give up. Persevere. And he says in Hebrews 10, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated it as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So to me, the way I picture this is, okay, let's say uh, this stage is, is, you know, my spiritual life or whatever. And, and perfection is right here, right in the middle. You know, being like Jesus. And so I get up in the morning, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be perfect today. Oh! <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, all right, I've got to get back. Okay, I repented. And then I, I'm going to try to do what's right, and then, oh, I fall over here. And then, okay, I've got to get back. Okay, doing better. Jesus, help me, help, help me. And then I fall over here. And then, you know, so I, I'm tripping, I'm falling, I'm struggling, but I'm, I'm still in, in grace. I'm, Jesus looks at me like, like Steve said a few weeks ago, and he sees Jesus. I've been clothed with Christ. I, he sees me. He sees Jesus. And so I'm in grace the whole time. It's not like G, God is, suddenly I'm out of God's grace. I, I'm, I'm within grace. But what this verse teaches is that I can deliberately just keep on sinning and just keep on sinning and just keep on sinning. I don't care. I don't care. Stop calling me. Stop bothering me. I, I'm going to do what I want. Forget it, God. I'm going to do what I want. I can keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on deliberately sinning, deliberately sinning, deliberately sinning, deliberately sinning. And so there's a point where I'm outside of God's grace. It says there's no sacrifice for sins is left at this point. That's what the verse says, right? Does it not? And there's people who say, well, that person was never really saved to begin with. But look at this. It says they've received the knowledge of the truth and then it says, the, the blood of the covenant, that sanctified them. So they, they were saved. They were right with God, but they just chose to deliberately keep on sinning. Now, that's not something we got to worry about if we're, if we're trying. If we're, if we're like the guy, like I described, where we're, okay, I'll get back, okay, I'll get back. It's just if we're in willful, deliberate, continual sin that, that we're in trouble. And why is that? You know, we can say... Man, why is God like that? He's so mean. Why does he, why doesn't he just let everybody be saved? And why do we even have to try? And why, you know, why is he so harsh? And, you know, we can have those kinds of feelings. And yet, look at what salvation cost God. You ever, you ever given someone something that was really valuable to you, but you could tell it wasn't very valuable to them? Or maybe you let them borrow it. You know, you let your kid borrow your iPad. And you're kind of like, whoa, do they really know? How much that cost? Uh, you know, my, I've got these headphones that cost $100, and my daughter borrowed them the other day, and they're starting to fray, you know, the little 
the, the, the rubber is starting to kind of come off. And so she borrowed them, and they got kind of a, a lot more messed up. And, and then, you know, she ruins them. She's my daughter. She's worth way more than my headphones. But, you know, you have that feeling of, oh, I don't know if she knows the value of that. I, I remember uh, my wife got this really nice volleyball net for, for, for me for my birthday. It's several people pitched in. This was a number of years back. And I lent it to one of the ministries of the church. I won't say which one. For an event. And I got it back and, you know, it was missing like two or three different parts and it was all kind of thrown together. It's like, okay, they don't understand the value that I place on that. And, and I, that's what this verse is saying, that this, this costs a lot. You're trampling the Son of God underfoot, it says in verse 29. Treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified Him. Jesus' sacrifice was worth our total commitment. Amen? Jesus' sacrifice was worth our response of, yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna strive, I'm gonna, does God want perfection? No, we're never gonna be perfect, but we can't continue in willful, deliberate sin, is what this verse is saying. Is that making sense? So that means we're in this state of grace, but we're also in a state of repentance. What I described up here is a state of repentance. You mess up, and then you turn around, and you go, okay, well, I gotta get back here, okay. Here I am again. And then you mess up and you go, okay, I gotta get back here. And you're, you're continually repenting. And it describes this well in, in 1 John 1. 1 John 1 verse 5, it says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So this word purifies, in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, it's not a one-time verb. It's a continual verb. Like it could be translated, continually purifies us from all our sin. In other words, you're not just purified when you become a Christian. You're continually purified by this perpetual fountain of God's blood. That's what this verse is saying. If you're walking in the light, what does that mean to walk in the light? It means you, you don't have this hidden, dark, you know, life going on. Light is, you can see me right now. If the lights went out, you couldn't see what I was doing. Light means you're, it's revealed, you're open, you're honest, you're real, you're transparent. You're walking in the light, you're striving to follow Jesus, and that blood continually cleanses us of sin. That's a great, great promise. That's almost even more powerful than the fact that we can be forgiven at our most sinful point. That we can be forgiven all the way through till we die. I mean, that's amazing, God's grace. And so what do we do? The next verse, I like the, the NCV version here. It says, if we say we have no sin, in verse 8, we are fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. Amen. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we've done. So really the danger in this verse, in, in, in 1 John 1, is, is saying, oh no, I'm perfect, I got it. You know, trying to claim that there's no issue. The, the, the salvation is being real. Being honest, being open. I, I preached a sermon years back, uh, and the thing, the thing that I said a few times was, grace is the place to face the real you. Grace is the place to face the real you. When you really understand grace, you can be real about what's really going on. Church should be the most real place in the world where we can be totally honest with God and totally honest with each other. Instead, what you've got in in so many churches in America is church is the least real place in the world. 
You know, people come in and they kind of put on their facade and act religious and change the way they talk and put on some religious lingo. How are you doing today, brother so-and-so? I'm blessed. How are you, brother so-and-so? You know, that's not what church is supposed to be. It's, it's like, hey, we're all a mess. Can I tell you what a mess I am so I can try to work this out and get some help? And, you know, we're, we're all a mess in the flesh. And, but, but confession is so powerful. Confession in this verse, to me, is it's a, it's a, a real physical uh, way that we can trust in God's grace. It's, it's like we put God's grace to the test. It's a radical reliance on God's grace. It's going, it's going wow, I, I messed up, but God, here's who I really am. And you confess. That's what Jesus said when he talks about the two guys that prayed. And one guy was like, oh God, I thank you that I do all this and I do that and I give a tenth and I fast twice a week and I'm not like that guy over there and I'm so righteous. Thank you, God. And then the other guy is like, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, I'm such a sinner. Please help me, God. Jesus said, that's the guy we need to be. Because that's who we really are. I mean, even the guy who's like self-righteous, he's really a wretch. And Jesus is like, he's in a worse place than this guy. And so that, I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That all God wants from me is openness, transparency, and commitment. Isn't that what we want in relationships? I mean, when you marry your spouse, you're not saying, I, I expect you to be completely flawless. And if you're like that, you're not going to find somebody, okay? You, what, you don't expect perfection, but you expect commitment. And you expect honesty. And you expect transparency. As a parent, with my kids, my oldest is 14 now. And he's finding himself and figuring out who he is. And he just got a new summer haircut. And he's so handsome. I don't want to embarrass him. But, uh, but you know, what I want from him, what I want for our relationship, and I, and I talk to him about this all the time, is I don't expect you to be perfect. I don't want perfection. I just want you to talk to me about what's going on. I know you're going to mess up. And it's okay to mess up. But, but let's keep the dialogue going. Let's keep talking. Tell me what's going on in your life so we can talk. I've been there. I messed up in this way and this way and this way when I was your age. And so I know what it's like and I know what it, you know, the kids are like and I know how hard it is. Man, it's hard. That I, I became a disciple in high school and those were the hardest years as a Christian. It's hard to be a disciple. Let's give a hand to our teen disciples, man. I'm telling you. It is hard. You guys are heroes. You guys are absolute heroes. From here on out, it's like once you make it through high school, it's like you're just going to be like, woo. You get to the campus ministry, it's like, woo So much fun. But, you know, with my son, I don't expect perfection. I just want openness and dialogue and transparency and realness. That's what God wants from us. And that's freeing because grace is the place to face the real you. You can be real. You can be honest. Read the Psalms. They are so incredibly honest in the way that the psalmist pray to God. That's what God wants from us, is realness, openness, transparency. I really encourage you, embrace grace. Why are we so afraid of confessing? Why are we so afraid of opening up? Because we don't understand grace. And there's danger in not opening up. You know, there was a story of this guy, Leif Wan, 30 years old, Chinese man, 2011. He'd been suffering severe headaches, bad breath, and breathing difficulties. Anybody, anybody can relate to that? <laughs> severe headaches, bad breath, and breathing difficulties. But he never knew the cause of his discomfort. An official at Yuxi City 
People's Hospital in Yunyan province said that Lee told doctors he'd been stabbed in the lower right jaw by a robber four years ago. So he was in this altercation, a robber stabbed him, he had all these lacerations on his face. What he didn't know is that the blade broke off inside his head without him realizing it. So the x-ray revealed it. Surgeons worked cautiously to remove the badly corroded blade without shattering it, said the official. The hospital's website also reported the successful surgery. The case, described by one doctor as a miracle, has been widely covered by the Chinese media and discussed on the Internet. CCTV showed footage of the rusted knife and interviewed Lee, who said, As time passed, I used injections to kill the pain in my head and ears. It has been four years already. Wow, that's crazy. He had that stuck inside him. We can't, you know, our bodies, we can't live with something stuck, a foreign object stuck inside ourselves. And yet, spiritually, what are the things that are stuck in our souls? What would a spiritual x-ray reveal that we ought to confess and deal with and get open with and get help with? You know what I'm saying? How much more should we be open with our life? Embrace grace. Grace is the place to face the real you. Two practi- a few practical things. Okay, we got our, our sponge here to embrace grace. A few practical things. You matter to God. So many of us, we get beaten down by Satan. Satan is, is known in the Bible as his name. Satan literally means the accuser. Because what he does is he tries to beat you down and make you feel like you don't matter to God. The Bible teaches you matter to God. It's the story of God rescuing person after person after person. You are so important to him. Believe that. Find out more about grace if you don't understand it. Understand it. Open the Bible with someone. Whether you're a disciple and a member of our congregation or if you're just a guest, you know, starting out here with us on our journey, uh, uh, visiting with us today, just kind of getting started. Wherever you are in your journey, get the Bible open. Because it's the revealed Word of God and it can guide us as we try to figure this out. You know, where, what are the boundaries of grace and how does it all work and some of the things that we've talked about today in kind of a short amount of time. Is there anything today you need to get real about? You know, is there a, a four-inch broken-off knife in your spiritual skull? And I just encourage you to pull somebody aside and say, hey, can I, can I talk to you about something? It's, it's scary. Now, now, you talk to God to get forgiven, but James 5.16 says you talk to others to get healed. So it's not like you're not forgiven until you tell someone, but, but healing comes when you get open and you get help and you, you talk about it. And, you know, there, there's times I, I just tell Steve, hey, can I, can I talk to you about something? Can I, you know, that's kind of code for, can I confess something? <laughs> can I get open about something? I mean, we were on, a, on the camping trip, and Rick and I, I just said, hey, Rick, can I be open about something? Oh, sure. We had a great conversation on the camping trip. You know, we need to have that kind of fellowship where we're constantly just talking and being real about stuff. Last thing, what will God's infinite grace motivate you to do for him? Grace should motivate us. The fact that we've been forgiven of everything should, should be a motivator. The fact that we can be honest and real and we can fail, that should free us up to do more. So often we don't do, we don't, you know, put our faith to the test, we don't step out there and do something for God because we're so afraid of failure. Right? But what grace does is it's like the safety net that says, it's okay to fail, go for it, and so then you just do something for God and maybe you fail or maybe you succeed, but grace is there to catch you if you fall. And so it's, it's a great motivator to step out. Do something new in your faith. Uh, take on a serving role in the church. Reach out to somebody at your work you're intimidated by. Uh, reach out to another student in your class you're intimidated by. Have a great conversation with a family member. 
do something where you step out on faith because you're, because grace is going to catch you if you mess up. There was a, a final story here uh, that helped me. This helped me with processing grace. You know, the, the building of the Golden Gate Bridge years ago over San Francisco. Look at how huge and beautiful that bridge is. Uh, they fell way badly behind schedule because several workers had fallen from the scaffolding to their deaths. And so the workers are just, you know, really gun-shy and really scared, and so the, the work is falling way behind. And so they decided, uh, the engineers and the planners and administrators, they couldn't figure out what to do, and so they decided that even though it was huge cost, they, they put this gigantic net underneath all the scaffolding. And after a worker, uh, a worker fell and was saved by the net, the work proceeded way ahead of schedule. Why? Because it gave the workers a sense of security. Whereas before they're like, oh, oh, you know, now they're like, okay, I got the net. And so they, they, it would free them up to work way, way ahead of schedule. And that's what grace is like. It's the safety net that frees us up to do work for God. To put it out there, to, to, to put our faith into context, uh, to the test in our life. Titus 2, the verse we started with. We're going to close with uh, taking communion. It says, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is, this is what communion is. It's that we are this people that this verse describes waiting for Jesus to return. The Bible says we, we proclaim his death until he comes when we take communion. And we are, we are his purified people eager to do what is good. I really encourage you to embrace grace today. We're going to have a song sung for us by Pat after we've had a little bit of time to meditate and pray. And uh, it's called One Thing Remains. And I just want to read a few lyrics for you before we pray for communion. And uh, He'll sing for a little bit and then we'll all sing along here after we've had a little bit of time to pray. But it says, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. God's love is infinite, amen? Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through the trial and the change, this one thing remains. On and on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul. I never have to be afraid. This one thing remains. In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. My debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your infinite grace that you are that giant Pacific Ocean and we are the sponge that we could never overwhelm your grace. We could never uh, uh, outgive you and what you've given to us. Thank you. I pray that every person here is overwhelmed by what an awesome God you are and what you did for us at Calvary and how Jesus paid the price for each one of us. God, I know you expect us to, to respond to that. You want us to respond and yet so few do. And thank you for the people in this room that that have chosen to respond to you, that, that are striving to live uh, righteous lives and striving to say no to sin because of your grace. And I know that you see each soul and you know each person and you know the sacrifices we make and you know the tests that we're in. And God, I know that each son and daughter is so precious to you here and help us to feel that now as we take communion, as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, his body and his blood given for us. I pray this could be an, a great time of remembrance of what he did and how your love never fails, never gives up, and uh, it never runs out.
that you have infinite love and infinite grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.